You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future. But until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. Today's scripture reading is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 65, verses 17 to 25. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and inhabit them, and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall shall the days of my people be and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and thus shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord, and it is given for our good. Good morning. Happy New Year to you all. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Uh, We've come through the Christmas season, uh, continuing our way through it, but past Christmas Day now. The Christmas season where the church celebrates the time when the Lord God of Israel has come into our own context. It comes to his own people in the middle of human history, into an obscure part of the world, into a humble family, uh, born in a stable, born and laid in a manger. The God of all history, who made us all, who made all of it, writes himself into the story, comes as a baby for the salvation of the world. It's quite, quite a story. And with Christmas Day now behind us, we look today to the end for which this story happens, right? Christmas doesn't happen for the sake of itself. Jesus doesn't come just for the sake of coming, but to accomplish something. And what we find here in this passage is that he's come to make all things new. Two weeks ago, uh, for those who were with us, uh, you'll remember that we read Isaiah chapter 9, or a part of it, where it's written, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. And we considered that day that we too 
live in a land of darkness, in our own deep darkness, that we too find ourselves alone, in conflict, disappointed, a people surrounded, if not overcome, by disease and by death. That anxiety and despair are not, not far from any one of us. That you and I, in these ways, live in our own darkness, in our own sufferings. And yet, uh, a few weeks ago now, we saw that God has responded to this, our darkness. That he's even flooded this darkness with light. For, for to us a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and of his peace there will be no end. Jesus, we saw, is the great light that shone into the darkness of our own land. The light has come, the Bible says. This promise that the light will come, it has already been fulfilled. Jesus has come, and he saved us, not by removing us out of the darkness, as we might expect, and not by obliterating the darkness, uh, but by entering into the darkness and so changing from the inside out, changing, bringing light into our darkness and, and conquering this darkness from within. And that this is the nature of the light of the gospel. Right? It's, a, it's a light that enters into the darkness and conquers the darkness from the inside out. That this is what God is doing. In human history, that this is what God has done and is doing in our own day. That God has come to save sinners, to redeem all of creation. Okay, so um, like it or not, believe it or not, this is what God has done and is doing in human history. And again, even in our own world, he is working to restore, to make the world light, to flood our darkness with light. But still, we saw again a few weeks ago, that ours continues to be a dark and a broken world. That our hope in the present is a hope in the midst of pain, in the midst of our own sufferings. But now, we read here, later on in Isaiah, moving on many chapters to chapter 65. Now, here we find that Isaiah's prophecies lead somewhere. They lead to a time when it will not always be so. You see, here in the 65th chapter of Isaiah, we find that history, the grand story of all of human life, okay, the grand story that encompasses all of human life, the whole globe, everything culminating up to the future, is moving toward a great end, an unspeakable gladness, that this is what everything is moving towards, a time where it's, you might say it's too good to be true, the future that's held for us. Right? And, and you might even say it's, it's, it's the future that we were made for. It's, uh, it's, it's the future that we were made to long for, to expect, to hope for. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. All the things that your heart longs for most, now, even in the present darkness, restored health, peace, to be known, to be seen and loved for who you are. To be free from disease. To be free from the decay of our bodies. All of these things, all of these longings are longings, it turns out, to be fulfilled. 
As C.S. Lewis has explained, just as humans find ourselves with the desires for food, so we find ourselves thing, something called food and all kinds of food in order to fulfill that kind of desire. Our, our desires for adventure, our desires for love, all of these desires that we have are good desires to be fulfilled. And it's the same, we might say, with in a deeper, more profound way, more long-lasting, more everlasting that we have these great desires to be fulfilled even for long life, for resurrection, for new life, for an encounter with the divine. Okay, all of these deep desires that the Bible calls salvation, right, that we were, we were created, that these desires, that these longings might one day be fulfilled. And that's what we'll consider together this morning in this text, that these desires too, these, these basic, deep uh, uh, desires, longings that we find ourselves with are in fact given to us in order to be fulfilled. So whether you're a person of faith here or not, the question is, did you ever consider that maybe, just maybe, that if there is a God, that this God who made you, who made all of this, might have made you with desires far greater than anything that can be grasped here and now, here in this life. The invitation this morning, wherever you're at, is to consider this, that your deepest longings are given you by God, our Maker. And he's given you these deepest longings in order that they might be fulfilled by him, in him, through him, and for all eternity. So in order to hear and consider this claim, we'll begin by considering some of the great trials and troubles of life that we find recounted in this passage to be later contrasted with the life that God promises to his children. One of the things that the Bible speaks of uh, here in Isaiah 65 is weeping and the cry of distress. That's in verse 19. Weeping and the cry of distress. One of the wonders of the Bible is that all the joys and complexities, the, the injustices, the tragedies, the, the terrible things of life, they're all found in its pages in the Bible. It doesn't the Bible doesn't, as so many religious people do, are prone to doing, including myself, it doesn't sugarcoat human experience. It doesn't try to cover up for God, to make God out to be better than what we might think he is. Instead, it gives us human experience. It gives us the revelation of God as it is, in a way that's utterly realistic. It doesn't pretend things are better than they are, but it names things as they are. It's honest. The Bible is honest about human history. It's honest about human experience. It's honest about the joys and the sufferings of life under the mighty hand of God. And weeping, we find, weeping is part of this. The Hebrew word for weeping refers to the overflow of emotion. Uh, you could translate it quite literally, a continual dripping of tears is implied. Continual dripping. This weeping is used of Pharaoh. You'll remember the story of Pharaoh where he loses his firstborn son, weeping over the loss of his son. It's used a little later of Moses, when at Moses' death, that the people of Israel wept, it says, for Moses for 30 days after his death, which is interesting, of course, because for much of the 40 years that Moses was leading them through the wilderness, they were angry with Moses, and they were disappointed with him, and they wanted, wanted him to fall down as their leader, and yet, by the end of it all, Israel weeps for the death of its leader. It's used at the rebuilding of the temple, 
when many of the old priests and Levites, the people who had seen the former temple, they see the new foundations, and it's not what it once was, and it, it causes them to weep. It's used of Job, who after his countless losses, including all of his own children, the death of all of his own ch- children, it says of Job, or Job says, my face is red with weeping, and we could go on. Many other places where the Bible recounts a people who are in distress, in deep darkness, weeping. And, and then, of course, Jesus wept. And we weep. We weep. It is part of the plight of those who sojourn in the world as God has made it. We weep. We weep over loss. We weep over disappointments of every kind. And our passage goes on to highlight some of the reasons for this, for this weeping. It speaks of the infant who lives but a few days, highlighting the absurdity and the utter sadness of the mother who carries a child. All for what? For loss in the end, only to lose. It's, it's, it's something to consider this, this claim, the, the, the loss of the child the early loss of a child, when we consider statistically that something like one-third, one-third of all children born in the world up until something like the 20th century ended in death within the first year of the child. Our world has known weeping. Verse 20 then goes on to speak of the old man who does not fill out his days. And of course, uh, some of you know that I lost my father earlier uh, just this past year. Uh, who had turned, he had just turned 64, uh, an old man, you might, you might call him by some standards, um, after this 14-month battle of cancer. And we've certainly wondered what another 20 years might have looked like for my dad, for my family, for my mom, uh, for our children, who would have grown up with a papa in their lives, to be that steady, loving presence. And perhaps you here have known similar losses to these, premature endings of all kinds. The Lord knows that we're not unfamiliar with tears and with suffering. And the next verse speaks of those who build for only another to inhabit, who plant only for another to eat, those who labor in vain, as it puts it in verse 23, all the work of our hands going to nothing because we can't in the end enjoy it. Work, toil, and frustrations of many kinds. It recounts that our world is a suffering world. And we know this, that things are not right. Here, the wolf eats the lamb, to use the language of this passage. The serpent destroys and thrives. But the promise here that we encounter is that it will not always be so. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, And the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create, says the Lord. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. See, though there's strife in Jerusalem and has been strife in Jerusalem, sadness in Jerusalem, it wasn't made to be this way. It wasn't made to be a burdened and broken place, but created for joy, to be a joy, to be a place where there are a people of gladness. And we can forget this. We can forget this in our darkness, that God has made us for himself, for joy and for gladness, and that he's taking us there. 
That there's an end for which all of this has been made. That despite our sufferings, despite the darkness, that there's an end for which it's all been made. That it's all moving in a particular direction. That our longings will be fulfilled. This is what God is doing. He goes on. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall be in it an infant who lives but a few days. Or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. Remember that God had promised to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, to all his people, in the midst of their own sufferings, that that they would be a blessing to the nations, that they would inherit the land, that they would be blessed, that they would experience plenty and safety in the land. And here the Lord, through Isaiah in this chapter, is picking up these promises And proclaiming to Israel, safety, peace is coming, long life is coming, the redemption of all things is coming. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain. Or bear children for calamity. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and the descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they're yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And dust shall be the serpent's food. Referring back to the Genesis 3 promise. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. See, here in Isaiah 65, right at the end of this prophetic book, we find that God didn't create all of this, all of us, for calamity, but for peace, for prosperity. This is what he's doing. This is where he's taking us. This is where he's taking all of human history. He didn't create new life in the womb, only for it to be cut short. He didn't create Jerusalem for, sh- for sorrow or for work to be toil, but instead he made us for long life, for new life to be born and to flourish, to enjoy the work of our hands, for Jerusalem to be a joy and a gladness. And though all of this has gone wrong, and all creation groans, it groans with its broken and and bloody lament. Though you and I have turned from God, each in our own way, each to our own way, now living under the curse of our own wrongdoing, here is the promise that persists. God is making all things new. And he's doing it through a child who was born in Bethlehem. Almighty God arriving in the most unpredictable of places, in poverty, obscurity, to be disdained and rejected, to suffer wrongs, even to die a sinner's death on the cross for you and for me. Somehow, the birth of this child is the beginning of a new humanity, a humanity that, like him, will suffer, a new humanity that, like him, will return to the dust of death, but a humanity that, like him, now In him, through him, receives the promise 
of resurrection. There will come a day, says the Lord, when things will no longer be what they are now, when the infant will only live, when the old man will fill out his days, when Jerusalem will be a gladness. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Maranatha, even so, come Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the Christchurch Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ChristChurchToronto.ca or email us at info at ChristChurchToronto.ca.